If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is People Safety and Horse Welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today I'd like to introduce Mary Longdon. Now Mary commenced in the traditional path as a coach, teaching able-bodied riders, going up, teaching dressage, show jumping, eventing, coaching three-day eventing riders. But then it was in her 30s she started to work for the RDA. Since she's worked for the RDA, she's become an international consultant for RDA and para-equestrian. And during that time, Mary started to study. She did a, a degree in allied health. She did a master's degree in special education. And she's really specialised in RDA and para-equestrian. So today I'd like to introduce Mary. How are you, Mary? Very well, thank you. Wonderful. Mary, you have an inspirational quote from your mother Difficulties, no excuse for failure. Can you explain how you became, how you have that as your inspirational quote? Obviously, quite early then, if it came from your mother, and how it's helped you. Yes, well, of course, at the time when I wasn't very old, it was a flaming nuisance because <laughs> as soon as you couldn't do anything, she would go, "Well, you know, failure is no excuse for this," and then mm -hmm. it just became part of what I did and. It's been very useful because so much of what I do is difficult mm -hmm. and I'm working with, you know, people with severe disabilities and emotional problems and so it's good. Okay. Can you tell me, just give an example of one time when you've been able to use it? I think with the little boy in Japan who was autistic and he was being tied up in his house because he because they just keep running away. Mm. So I thought, well, you know, that is a difficulty, but that's really no excuse for him having his life being tied to a chair all the time. Mm. Mm. So in the end, they realised that if he ran away and they didn't chase him, he'd come back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was really where success came out of failure. Okay. Mary, how did you start with horses? What are your first memories my first memories were sitting on my uncle's horses in Canada, mm -hmm. sitting up in front of him. Okay, well, that's interesting because you, you're from the UK, but you had yes. an uncle in Canada. Okay, and that's what brought you. So you started off and you studied in the UK and then you went across to Canada and worked for six years. Did you work there? Yes, I did. All right. And you've taught quite a few countries, Australia, Canada, Dubai, England, Hong Kong, Japan, Malaysia, New Zealand, the Philippines, Portugal, Singapore, Taiwan and the US. You've really, really travelled and you're presenting conferences when you go to these different countries. What sort of, when you do your speaking, what sort of things are you, what sort of topics are you covering? Interpreting instructions, I think, is one of the biggest things because the horse has to understand what the rider's asking them to do. And when you have someone with a disability the horse mightn't be able to interpret this. And you may have volunteers that actually have no idea what you're talking about. And particularly in the Asian countries, a lot of the volunteers have never seen a horse before. Yes. So 
It's all about them actually understanding what you're asking them to do. Yeah, yeah. So teaching them, and, and there'd be a lot of just teaching them basic safety about horses, wouldn't there? You know, how to actually lead a horse or how to help or how to be in the correct position at the right time and then having to work with the horses and with the riders with disabilities. It sounds quite challenging. Yes, it is very challenging, particularly because those of us that have been brought up with horses understand horse language. Mm. But you have somebody that comes in and they may be leading a school horse that's got its ears back or it doesn't like the horse next to it and they have no idea about the dangerous situation they're leading their horse into. Yeah, so the actual training is really important. It has to be done in a way that people want to learn yes, and they want to access this knowledge. And, and remembering that they're volunteers as well. You know, they're not getting paid for this. They're doing it out of the goodness of their own heart. So we've got to consider that as well. Yes, and then there's the whole well-being of the volunteers because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when they come to a centre and give their time and they do something wrong, you can't actually tell them they've done it wrong. You've got to sort of reteach it correctly. Yeah. So you then upset them and lose them. <laughs> Mary, I'm going to take you back, and this is just a little bit after you've, you know, you remember sitting on your uncle's horse. You you went back to the UK. Did you have lessons there? What made you have a career with horses? I had lessons at a wonderful riding school called Munter's Farm. Is that M-O-U-N-T-E-R-S? Yes. Yep. Yes. And her old mother lived in the house as well, and Joyce Kemp was just wonderful. Mm -hmm. But she collected cats So there were ponies, children, cats, and her mother who'd come and yell at us all if we did something (laughs) wrong. But it was was just wonderful. And the little stables in the little sheds, you know, you'd go around the corner and there'd be, oh, two more stables. And it was wonderful. Yeah, so it was all that. Because I went to boarding school, so this was my main thing to do in the holidays was go Mounter's Farm and Pony Club Camp and everything else. And do you remember making the decision to become a coach, to work in the horse industry? Yes. Yes, I do. I used to play the oboe and the piano and I was going to do, a, I was going to do music therapy. Mm-hmm. And then I just decided, no, maybe I would teach horse riding instead. Okay. Was- <laughs> All right. So that was, yeah, decided that. Okay. Now, if you, because you have a lot to do with people who are just leaving school, thinking about working in the horse industry, what do you think are the core skills that are required to work in the horse industry? What I actually say to people, which you probably won't like at all, is I tell them to go and do something else first. Mm -hmm. I said, otherwise, you're just going to become someone that just cleans out stables and tacks up horses. And very few people that are in the horse industry actually have time to compete themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if they survive that then, yes, I do help them to become a coach. I think you've got to like people mm-hmm. almost more than liking horses. Then there's an understanding of how people learn. So if you have – I used to have working pupils with me, yep. and they're just so interesting because they learn that being in the horse industry is actually very hard work. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as nine to five and five-day weeks. Yep. So they learn that pretty quickly. And if they want to compete, then they actually have to work that much harder to be able to have that time. Okay. 
compete. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you said that you recommend that they do something first, so you recommend they do something first and then have their horses part-time, so they're doing their full-time job plus their part-time horses. Yes. So okay. if, if they are able to go off and become a lawyer or a physiotherapist or something then or an accountant, mm-hmm. then they're going to be able to afford to enjoy horses as a sport. Mm-hmm. If they can't do that and they want to teach as a career, then that's a completely different thing. And I think people get confused between the two of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, because you've gone on and you've, you know, you're one of the top people in the world within your specialisation. You know, you're an international consultant and you do consult to quite a few people. What do you think have been the keys to excelling in your career? Or for anyone, you know, for people who excel in their specific niche within the horse industry, what makes it so that people get so much better than others? I think you have to know where you want to go. Mm -hmm. If you don't know where you want to go, then how can you get there? Yep. And then I think, and I'm learning every day. I, I love learning. I love getting more knowledge. And if I'm seeing people coaching, even if I don't particularly like how they're coaching, you still learn certain things from them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's this striving for excellence. Okay. So I suppose if someone knows where they want to go, that's what they can focus on rather than just drifting around within the horse career. They can be quite focused with that. Yes. Okay. Yes. So when you started working for RDA and you started to focus, you took the time out to still do your allied health qualification and then took more time out to do a master's degree while you were still working. Yes. Okay. So yeah, putting putting I definitely the, couldn't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> but you put a lot of time and effort and work into that and you were quite focused when you were doing it. Yes. And mm. then I, I was doing a PhD but I just never managed to that needed so much extra time. So in the end I had to give that up. Okay. Which was a pity. Have you given it up or just put it on hold? No, I gave it up. (laughs) If I was going to do it again, I would do it on a different subject. Okay, okay. All right. Now, tell us about a person. I think you already have, Rainer Klimke. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, he's influenced you, but just tell me a bit more about how he's influenced you. You know, when did you first come across him, um, how he's influenced you and how you've taken that forward? Well, as a competitor... He was one of the best at taking novice horses, horses that had just got to Grand Prix, mm-hmm. and taking them to the top. And Alaric, his book on training Alaric is very interesting because he made an error and then it took him a whole year for the horse to get confidence in him again. Mm-hmm. So I just liked the way he was minutiae of training. And he was a lawyer, so he had a really good brain. Mm-hmm. Every lunchtime he used to go and ride the horse. Mm-hmm. So he was very focused on what he was doing. And he was always kind to the horses. He had good training methods. Yep, yep. And and interesting that it took a year um, for a horse to regain the confidence. Sometimes horses get a bit of a fright and people don't realise how, how long it's taking and why they're reacting in such a way. And it is just yes. because they're worried. Rather than doing something naughty, they're just worried. Yeah. Yes. And so from that, I've been very interested in error-free learning. Mm, mm. 
Mm. both for horses and also for people because if someone has a physical disability, learning is physically difficult to actually do things and if they have an intellectual disability, then it's also difficult. So why teach people in a sloppy way that they then have to relearn something? Mm. Mm. And also it's about confidence with the people too, isn't it? You are talking earlier about just giving them the confidence. Yes, I think that when we teach, we tend to use language that people don't understand. Years ago, Viv Boone was this English lady who was the first woman to win a three-day event. She used to come to our pony club camp and she was fearsome. (laughs) And I was a very sort of nervous, pathetic child. And I was in the lead in this class. Well, first she said, we're going to the menage to do dressage. Well, we had no idea what we were going to do. We thought we were going to go jumping. Anyway, we ended up in this ring and I was leading and then she said, left incline. Well, of course, by this time I was purple in the face, nearly in tears because I didn't know what she was talking about. And I'd turn around, none of us knew what she was talking about. But that's the army way, because her husband was in the army, of saying, change the rain across the diagonal. Yep. Yep. And so that has been such an influential thing in my life because uh-huh. people will do it if they know what it is you're asking to do. Yes, yes. And sometimes if it's a big skill, just breaking down the skill, you know, just yeah, yes. explaining it. Yep. All right. What about a horse who's influenced you? I think probably my Connemara, who was called Dark Warrior of the Glen, and he was 13 2 Mm-hmm. And he was fantastic hunting. Yep. So I'd be hanging on in my terrified way. He'd <laughs> jump absolutely anything. He would go all day. He was wonderful jumping. And in those days, in the collecting ring when we were warming up, to make sure that your horse was really awake, we'd keep whacking them on the shoulder till they reared. When they reared, <laughs> boom, into the ring you'd go. <laughs> The poor little warrior would, I think, probably leave the ground by about one inch. <laughs> and I'd go, oh, he's ready to go. <laughs> so he gave me a very good start. <laughs> okay. Now, talking about able-bodied riders now, when you're teaching able-bodied riders, is there a particular thing that you think, wow, I need to teach them how to fix this, how to correct this, something that you see over and over again that you'd like to introduce as a training tip for our listeners? Yes, but it's no different if it's able-bodied people or people with disability. Mm -hmm. And that is that what you see is the result, not the cause. Okay. And people spend far too long trying to correct something that's a result. And so then nothing changes. So the most important thing is for people to have a look. What do you see? Okay, so that's a result. So it could be somebody's riding and they're sitting crooked so one toe is sticking out and one toe is going to the front there's no good telling them to put their toe to the front because it'll go out again because it's a result when they sit straight then both their feet are going to the front anyway okay okay so working on the straightness first before you worry about the toe well then you you don't need to worry about the toe do you I suppose once once the rider's straight the rider's straight exactly Mm, and it's the mm. same with a horse going crooked so you say oh its head's going to the right well yes its head's going to the right that's a result correct Mm -hmm. the left shoulder and then the head can go straight okay 
Same with the horse, working on the straightness of the rider, straightness of the horse. Okay. Yes. So so I think the one thing I try to teach people is don't correct what you see, work out what the cause is and correct that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mary, in your spare time with doing all your study, with doing your degree, your master's, starting your PhD, you've written a couple of books. Can you tell me about your first book, Teaching Disabled Riders, why you started to write that book and what the book's all about? I would never call myself an author, but I do write books. <laughs> What's the difference then between an author and someone who writes books? I want to pass on my knowledge. Okay. And an author? It, oh, I think it's someone that enjoys writing maybe. <laughs> okay. Does it as a career. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So the first one is it's for coaches that are just starting with Ryan for Disabled. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to read. Then the second book, Coach with Courage, is also apparently easy to read. I don't like authors that have great long words because otherwise people don't understand and then they're not going to read it. So the Coach with Courage is in three sections. The first section is on learning how Mm -hmm. people learn, and the second section is specifically RDA, and there's a chapter on teaching people with severe and profound disabilities and the benefits of writing, and the third section is on dressage, but it's written from the how you teach it, how you coach it, and how you judge it. All right, and the, the DVDs, Writing Towards Excellence. Yes, these are three DVDs that I made using adult riding, good adult riding club riders. Mm-hmm. And it, the first one is on position and the second one's on the horse's way of going. So it shows sort of an ambling walk and a good quality walk, and but it's with everyday riders. And then a part of the third DVD, there's a section on this horse which is going completely unsettled and not at all happy and so we just worked through that I actually said to the director of the DVDs please tell them to stop videoing this (laughs) video it and it's fantastic because it it shows what do you do when you go to a horse show and your horse is just tearing around like an idiot yep Yep. going sideways and backwards so but it's for because so many of the DVDs are beautiful they come with lovely horses and They'll show one thing wrong, which is often very hard to see if it's wrong or right. Mm -hmm. But this is all about showing how you come up on the correct trotting diagonal, what falling in and falling out looks like, what happens when you go too fast, a horse that isn't going forward. So it's people have said it's so easy to look at because they can learn by looking. I think men particularly who don't like to read things can actually look at it and learn. So really looking at coaching in the real world rather than the ideal world, is it? It's more for riders, Mm -hmm. but it's also useful for coaches. Yes, absolutely the real world. Mm -hmm. Mary, can you tell me the difference and the benefits between RDA and para-equestrian? So RDA is a therapy Mm -hmm. and different countries run RDA groups and within groups you have different sessions where they come from schools or they come independently and it's a mixture of teaching riding skills and also learning things like eye-hand coordination or 
if you have a young child who's very floppy with cerebral palsy, if they are able to learn to sit up due to the movement of the horse, then they're going to be able to see the world around them instead of lying all the time. Mm-hmm. Actually, sitting on a horse is a reflex-inhibiting position. So people that are very spastic, it helps them enormously, and then the movement of the horse increases their circulation and their breathing. So generally, it's a very healthy exercise. The Special Olympics is for is sport, and it's for people with an intellectual disability. They may also have a physical disability, but the difference between the Special Olympics and the Paralympics is that you don't have to be the best in the Special Olympics to win a gold medal. So in the riding, they all do an equitation class, and then they're put into groups according to their ability. So they could be in the lowest group of ability and still win a gold medal. Whereas with the Paralympics, that is a sport, and it's the same as the Olympics. The There are five different levels of disability. And so you ride, so everyone has to be classified by a physiotherapist or a trained doctor. And then they're put, the different disabilities are put into the five different grades. So if you were completely blind, you might be competing against someone with mild cerebral palsy, someone who has lost a leg or someone. So it's it's a whole mixture of different disabilities that ride in one grade. And the most disabled people have their uncoordinated and they only walk, but they are allowed to trot in their freestyle. Whereas the grade five, which is the least disabled, they are riding the ones that are the really good ones that win the medals are all riding at Grand Prix. So they could be riding a Grand Prix without a hand or they could have mild deteriorating disease. So it's a whole sort of mixture of, or they could just be missing a, a lower leg, which seems quite a big thing, but they the standard is enormously high. Okay, okay. All right. Now, equine-assisted therapy, What? when would we use that? What's it for? And how are horses used within equine-assisted therapy? Now, a lot of this is done with unmounted activities, but Mm -hmm. basically to be a therapy, it has to be run by a therapist. So whether that person's a psychologist or a social worker or a physio or an OT or a speech therapist, it doesn't matter. But I don't have any of those qualifications, so I can't actually run that kind of a program. And there are a few people running the programs that really have no qualifications at all, mm-hmm. whereas others are really good and they get people who may have psychological problems. And it's not just people with disabilities. People can come from battered homes, children with psychological problems. So it's not just the RDA people that benefit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Now, that's a good explanation because I think some people do get confused and there is a bit of confusion between Special Olympics and Paralympics. Yeah. So that's good. That's great for that clarification. Now, going forward, what was your proudest moment with horses? And it could be, you know, with horses, as a coach, as a speaker, as a consultant. What's your proudest moment? 
I think I have a lot of them. I suppose my proudest moment was at the Paralympics in Sydney when I gave the officials oath at the opening. That was probably the proudest moment in a way. But with the work that I do, you can be enormously proud of somebody managing to do a very simple task that has been really difficult for them to learn. So someone that's trying to learn to ride independently, the main thing is, first of all, obviously they've got a lot of balance on a horse, but then they have to have rein control. Mm -hmm. And if you do a task analysis of how you're going to shorten the reins, there are a huge number of components in that. So for someone that finally manages to trot and shorten their reins while they're trotting, that to me is a hugely proud moment. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And and proud for you because you've actually achieved, you've broken down what they needed to learn. So they've yes. really achieved something and individually they've achieved a lot and you've assisted with that. And then I think another really proud moment was I used to teach David Middleton when he was a three-day event rider. Mm-hmm. I think he's coming back to it, which is really good. And at Wandon Horse Trials, he won the one star, two star and three star. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? Which was great. And he turned around to me and said, there, now are you happy? And I <laughs> said, yes, I'm very happy, but you're going to have to thank them in a minute. Which, of course, put him in a terrible panic, but he's got very good at speaking now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Now, what, what does your future hold? What do you plan to do in the future? I plan to do much less of teaching para-question riders at a high level. I'm still very interested in helping them turn their dream into reality. And what I love doing is working in a team. And that's one of the things about coaches is they work independently and they don't get help. Whereas the work that I do, I can call on physios and speech therapists and other coaches, and it's really fun working in a team. So I want to continue to do that. I don't want just to be an individual coach. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to write, well, I'm writing two books. One is going to be for teaching children the different activities that you can do because when we learned to ride, we just went through the woods and cross country, and now so many people only ride in an arena. And I go and see them, and it's so boring. So I want to do a little, a, a small book for different activities for that. Mm-hmm. And then the main book that I'm writing, I'm not sure what it's going to be called, but it's from therapy to competition. Okay, good. Now, can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today so that people listening to the podcast, listening to your interview, can take it away? have something to think about for the day and improve their their day, improve their riding, improve their communication with horses? Yes. Everyone and every horse is an individual. And if you want to get the best results, then you have to bear that in mind and you have to work out what do horses like to do, what is their best way of learning, and you have to look at things from the horse's point of view. That's something that I learned from Andrew McLean quite a few years ago when he was still living in Tasmania. He used to stay with me when he was eventing on the mainland. And he said, you know, the problem is that people use their 
intellect to work out how a horse is thinking. And that, of course, is so inaccurate. So we definitely have to be looking at how does the horse interpret what you're asking it to do. Okay. So I think that's... Yeah, and Andrew's done a lot of study. He's actually done some PhD research on that and he's in interview number three for those that would like to go on and listen some more about that. Mary, that's been great talking to you today. Uh, Just if people want to contact you, how's the best way for them to do that? Either on my website or if they want to send me an email. All right then. They can telephone me, but I'm often out of the country, so that gets problematic. <laughs> so email, email or on my website is the best. All right. And we'll put those details on horsechats.com and then slash Mary Longdon. And Mary, thank you for today. It's been wonderful talking to you. You've given us a lot of information about working with riders with disabilities and also talking about able-bodied riders as well. So thank you for that. My pleasure. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 